1: Hi, I'm Dr. Mariam Zamani, and I'm an oculoplastic surgeon with a special interest in facial aesthetics and also the founder of MZ Skin, and this is the Guinea Pig Podcast.
2: Why are we called the guinea pig? Because that's what I am. I'm writer and journalist Fiona Golfar, and I'm here ready and willing to try out just about any treatment and treatment going. We are the breath that you take before trying anything out there. So if you're looking for an honest, no holds barred approach to invasive and non-invasive cosmetic surgery, then come join us from the clinic every Thursday on the Guinea Pig Podcast.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to The Guinea Pig. Once again we're on location and this time we've come to Mr.
2: Patrick Malucci. You should see us everybody. We've been running around London with a box with (laughs) all our recording equipment like we're on some kind of mad tour. We're running in and out of cars with our box and recording equipment and we're interviewing experts and here we are.
3: Hi Patrick. Hi. Haven't seen you for a while. No, and thanks thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. Nice to be here.
1: <laughs> nice to be here in your yeah, own office. Absolutely. So we're here to talk
3: about boobs, aren't we?
1: I think so. So Patrick, tell us about what you do.
3: My particular interest as as you probably know is, is aesthetic breast surgery in all its forms. Um and that means both primary surgery, so people presenting for the first time, whether it's going bigger. Smaller, lifting, another big part of it is is revisional surgery. So people who've already had surgery maybe a long time ago, or maybe they're happy with their results. um, so a lot of it is is also revisional surgery. So putting right, if you like, or improving what's already been done because
2: historically there has been so much sort of um sort of discoveries and things that are good and not good to put into one's boobs and and it's been a very long journey so now a lot of women who've had things put in that they've had to have taken out and i mean we we're evolving in the boob world aren't we
3: yeah i mean the, i mean the history of implants dates back to 1963 really first first breast augmentation in houston texas um in 1963 so as you imagine, implants have can evolved tremendously over that period of time they have never been far from controversy there are lots of controversies which have sort of been hiccups along the way and we're sort of traveling through what at the moment mm. um, with with this phenomenon of ALCL it's a huge topic but way beyond the scope of this particular podcast um, but I think you know as as with all things medical we're on alert in terms of collecting data, unders- trying to understand what we see, and informing patients to, to try and be as safe as possible.
1: So in terms of uh, breast implants, that's that seems to be a very common you know one of many common procedures for the breast um, what are the different ways people are always asking me and I don't know enough about breasts above the muscle below the muscle what's the difference between those two different kinds of techniques and then if you can talk about also where the incision's made yeah.
3: so I mean it's very simple really um, if you want a breast to look reasonably natural you need to have good sufficient cover over that implant you need to have enough tissue over that implant in order to disguise it as much as possible so with those who have very little breast tissue you inevitably go underneath their pectoralis muscle because they need a bit of extra cover over that implant otherwise you are effectively putting the implant underneath the skin so it's very visible in those, on the other hand, who've already got a bit of breast tissue and reasonable cover, they don't have to go under the muscle because they've already got enough breast to cover that implant. Mm-hmm. So it's not a necessity for them so to go under the muscle. So a
2: flatter-breasted woman would... Yeah, yeah.
3: so, so there isn't... You know, people often think, oh, I hear one is better than the other. Both have got advantages and disadvantages, and it's really about making the right selection for the right individual. So simple as that.
1: Would you do more lifts, um, most of the lifts, with it over the muscle then? Because I, I imagine a lot of those patients actually have
3: not more I mean, tissue. A, again, not necessarily because if you're if you're, you're, you're a very skinny bum, you've had two or three children, you've got absolutely nothing in your breasts, you've got you're super active, you have zero body you know, fat. If you're Mariam Zimani. Oh, yes. Oh, so I'm interested. Uh, Actually, yeah. I'm yeah. looking at Mariam, and we are yeah. Tweedledee
2: and Tweedle very dumb, but <laughs> what what Mariam has got is probably, irritatingly, the perfect smallish breast. I'm, yeah, a, a, I'm a double D, by the way. I hide them. Okay, so, so you hide yours. That's I do. That's interesting in itself. <laughs> so you would have enough what you need between the, the the muscle that you're talking about i'm the lay person in this yeah. show so i don't understand a word of anything so but the muscle comes closer to the bone so then between the muscle and the skin there is a layer of fat in Absolutely. my case or, quite or, 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 or breast tissue that's or right breast so, tissue. So if, okay. if you
3: think about it in terms of layers if you're if you're working from the outside inwards right. you've, got, you've got your skin on the outside then you've got a little bit of fat and breast tissue and then that sits on top of the muscle. And then okay. the muscle... So for most
2: wrist. women who have a bit of breast, you wouldn't have to go Correct. under the muscle. And,
3: okay. And the thing that's really interesting about that, the thing that's really changed uh, our practice, is that if you don't go under the muscle, because it's a less invasive procedure, we now don't do it under general anaesthetics. So wow. we, we do that under sedation. Mm. Wow. Which is amazing, phenomenal. Because on average... People are dressed and go home about an hour to an hour and a half after their surgery. They're wow. dressed and walking home. So it is. It how long is, is that procedure? The procedure takes about an hour. But you're itself. then
2: in very. You're then in a sort of sports bra type situation. Yeah, or? but
3: you you have a light dressing or in a sports bra for how long? Um, usually for a couple of weeks uh, during the healing process, and once the dressings right. come off. Uh, my general advice is that that they can wear um whatever's comfortable whatever's comfortable so augmentation
2: is a walk in the park compared to what i really want which is reduction
3: yeah i mean reduction is a more intricate a little bit more complex procedure it's different to to breast augmentation ironically although it's a more complicated slightly longer procedure it's often less uncomfortable than than the augmentation really? because when you're expanding a breast, and, and sometimes that's quite uncomfortable, but actually the reduction is a, is a kind of a relieving operation, so yeah. you're taking weight away, and, and it's, not that, um, it's not that uncomfortable.
2: But it's more
1: scarring.
3: It is more scarring, yes. So
1: for an augmentation, what are the different areas where you can have a scar so, now? Uh,
3: so generally, the preferred incision today, for a whole bunch of reasons, is the incision in the fold of the breast. It's the cleanest incision, um, and when I say clean, I mean less bacterial contamination, which is a real key aspect of breast augmentation, because if you go through the nipple or through the armpit, then your bacterial load and contamination is much higher, and that has consequences down the road. Um, and the other thing with the incision in the fold of the breast is It's the best access to the breast. You can do all your revision surgery through that. Do you mean
2: the fold of the breast again, layperson? Is where we used to put a pencil. Correct. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, <laughs> Why just would you be put f- a pencil because there? Because you
2: did the pencil test when you were at school to see if your that's boobs right. were high enough so that if they could hold a pencil, they were too saggy. They were too low. Ah. But if the pencil didn't... Sit, is that yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, so the idea pencil you, test was how high your boobs are. Yes, you you, you, want you to, needed to go to British school. You, because I, I we, that's how we educated you, you want to fail <laughs> the pencil you test. <laughs> you want to fail <laughs> the pencil test. <laughs> that's the only test you really want to fail. And then what
1: about going through the belly button?
3: No, that's just a gimmick for saline implants. Just not done. That's it. Had, it used to go by the um, the synonym of tuber, transumbilical breast augmentation. Mm. But that's, uh, that's
1: out of fashion. And right. what about Marianne's
2: it, favorite, uh, the fat implants, fat, so fat transfer? Fat
3: transfer. What do you think about fat transfer? Well, augmentations? I mean, fat tran- so so fat transfer. And we do a lot of fat transfer all the time. To do pure fat transfer for breast augmentation is an unusual procedure because few people are good candidates for that.
1: Well, not so much for augmentation, but, you know, so after you've had uh, children in the top portion of your breast yeah. becomes a little bit more empty I th- not for an augmentation but to sort of improve the skin quality there so, so that you're not seeing a little excess skin
3: yeah so, so 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 fat is used in in many situations it can be used with implants so-called composite breast augmentation so the idea is that you use a little bit less implant um and 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 you add a bit of fat in other words the less foreign body you've got you know, the better, the more natural. So that's one way of using fat. We quite quite often will combine fat with, for example, a breast lift, where there's been a little bit of loss of volume at the top of the breast, um, maybe not quite um, the necessity for an implant, but the idea of embellishing what you have with a bit of fat is is also a very attractive option. And we also use it for, for things like asymmetries, where one breast is different to the other, Rather than using different implants, you might use the same implant, but make up the difference with fat. Um, and you can also use it for, for people who've got naturally wide breasts and, and a wide cleavage. You can try and soften the cleavage area by specifically targeting that area with fat. So there are lots of situations in which we can use it.
2: Another idiot question, sorry. So I have a friend who is really properly, completely flat-chested. She was told it was a hormonal thing that she had failed. she had failed to hormony develop in some way tell us a little bit about that
3: because so that, so that condition is called amastia which mm-hmm. basically means that you don't you don't have breast development um, and we see people from time to time uh, but again you know with with an appropriately selected implant most often suited to teardrop shaped implant which are naturally more breast shaped and more natural you know you can get excellent results
2: and it's not something that could be treated with hormones or no.
3: it's it's just once once you've missed the hormonal sort of development spurt you won't get it back
1: and then what about in those who've had a history of breast cancer i mean what do you recommend in someone like that do you recommend more going down the fat route or an implant route or you know what does that mean for imaging of breasts later on well i
3: I, I mean the, the i mean it's a complicated question because it depends very much on the nature of the breast cancer the treatment um and what reconstruction you know those individuals have had carried out in them so there's a whole host of ways of treating them whether it's with implants with fat using Stand different up. parts of the body etc cetera, etc cetera. so it very much depends on 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 the circumstance basically
1: and then what about for imaging?
3: Imaging is very important, of course. And I, I'll, I'll mention something about a new, uh, a, a relatively new development. But, Sorry, uh, what do
1: you mean by imaging? So when you go for a mammogram, I mean, I, I know, for instance, Patrick yeah. has a ultrasound yeah. here, yeah. which I assume you do for your patients so, so, pre, so I, I, pre-surgery. Exactly. So I was
3: going to say, all of our patients, whatever breast surgery you're having, have pre optive ultrasound. Mm-hmm. We have a consultant radiologist from the Royal Marsden uh, Breast Unit who does all our... Uh, uh, all our scanning if he feels there's further indication for mammography or MRI then he can do that and we take his advice on that but it's a very good way of screening people prior to surgery before you change the environment Um, one of the interesting developments in implants to do with screening is this new generation of slightly lighter weight implants, so called B-light implants And these were developed by an Israeli company. They've been acquired by a big German implant company. They've been around for about probably eight years or so. And they're 30% lighter than standard silicone. And the way they do this is that the silicone uh, has these tiny little microspheres, which are air-filled, bound to the, the silicone. So it's a little bit like an aero. Or a Malteser, if you think of a cross-sectional. Malteser. I love the idea of yeah. having a Malteser-like um, boob. But but what's really interesting about these implants is not only are they lightweight and all the obvious benefits of that, but they're also much more translucent. So, for example, um, you know, in breast cancer patients, the idea of imaging and following up is quite attractive potentially with this new generation because you can
2: see yeah you can see much better
3: so incredible my mother
2: I always end up talking about my mother but my mother had a friend I remember when I was a child who'd had her boobs done and it was like touching a crash helmet I mean, it's it's so incredible how far it's come yeah. and what can be done.
1: And then, what determines whether someone has like an encapsulation or like wh- why do those things happen? I I have a few plastic surgery friends who I follow. What is an encapsulation uh, in in the states? And I will let Patrick say that because okay. I do not want to mess up what that actually means. But I, they, I see these horrific images of yeah. of implants and
3: yeah. So I mean, so. Uh, Encapsulation or capsular contracture, as it's known, is is effectively scar tissue which forms around the implant. But it's, it's scar tissue which thickens and contracts. And in so doing, it makes the implant very hard, it distorts it, and it makes it very uh, unattractive in shape. Now, th- there are some things that we do understand about capsular contracture. So bacterial contamination not oh, that's infection weird. but bacterial contamination is a big contributing factor so there are certain steps and maneuvers that we take in the operating theater to minimize uh, contamination so the introduction of the so-called no touch technique nobody touches the implant um, we seal the nipples off we have a special funnel which delivers the implant into the breast without anybody touching it um, and a whole bunch of other manoeuvres, including cleaning of the breast pockets, antibacterial solutions to try and counter that. And, and we know that by, you know, good surgical technique has radically reduced the rate of capsular contracture. doesn't eliminate it, but certainly, you know, maybe 20 years ago, capsule contraction rates were 25 30 40 percent wow you know now they're down to sort of you know five percent wow. and less yeah
1: and then you said taping of the why why the nipples why is the nipples because, so filled it, because again
3: the, the nipples through the milk ducts um you know, leak bacteria oh yeah who knew
1: definitely yeah. don't like the idea of leaking bacteria no, there take them up <laughs> and then um actually you're also known for your ratio can you tell us a little bit about your ratio which so, is nicely on the wall. Have you seen it, you? No, yeah. is that his success
2: rate?
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> it's not it's Forty-five, 45.
2: <laughs>
3: Just checking. Yeah. I'm booking um, it. No, I mean, look, the, the 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 whole thing of 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 the ratio is, you know, I set out a few years ago to try and understand what an attractive breast was. The reason for doing that is. It, is if you're going to you know operate someone if you're going to change something if you're going to try and correct something you have to try and understand what it is you're trying to achieve um and it's really you know breast augmentation for many years has had a sort of bad reputation about just being about volume you know just just shoving a bit of volume in there and we all know those images of the 1980s of pamela anderson and katie price and these are not attractive breasts that they are big distorted so it was really trying to understand well actually you know volume itself is not sufficient to create attractiveness um, and actually it's about volume distribution or shape and this is really what led me to, to to understand about volume proportions in the breast in order to try and create a naturally attractive breast The ratio which is now pretty much recognized worldwide is something known as the the 45-55 ratio. And, And what this looks at is the relative volume above the nipple and below it. So if you imagine a breast in its profile and you draw a horizontal line through the nipple, a naturally attractive breast has actually got a little bit more volume below it than it does above. So it's got that nice fullness of the lower pole. And when you get that volume distribution, you get three other things. The nipple naturally angulates skywards slightly. So that's, a, that's number two feature. The lower pole curvature is a tight convex curve. It's not floppy. It's not, it's not too straight. It's a nice tight convex curve. And then what's known as the upper pole slope is generally pretty much a straight line or a very mild concave um, line and effectively if you have those features you have a naturally attractive breast so you can then use this template around which to design and plan your surgery and that's really the significance of it
2: So, do you? I keep imagining you wandering around art galleries actually, (laughs) looking at beautiful nudes. But although I have a great friend who did have her breasts done, and she took uh, Dejeuner sur l'herbe to the plastic surgeon and she said, Can I have those? So, I I think it does actually, to me, in a way, it does make sense. If you look at beautiful art and you look at beautiful sculpture, then you understand what maybe the definition of a beautiful breast is or a shape. Do you show your patients the 3D? possibilities of what their breasts
3: can be no i don't actually um I, I don't because i don't think it works very well okay i started doing it and, and i remember you started yeah, quite a number of years uh, ago and you fell and, and you know the, the, the problem is that i you know you, you take the before picture you'd plug in the implants and look at the at the after image and i just look at it and think oh my god i can't i can't show her that. You know, that that's, awful you know i know i can do much (laughs) Much better better. than that and it doesn't look anything like what i'm trying to produce so you know although in you know the idea is an attractive idea the images it's just not good enough um so actually you know i tend to just show patients you know real before and after images of you know perhaps similar individuals or similar situations to say look you know this isn't new but this is kind of close to where you are this is what we we're like before this is what we we're like afterwards this is where I think you're going to be and I, I think that's more informative
2: so many things aren't kind to breasts so many things like childbirth or we've talked about this before menopause gravity, gravity. gravity. well you know my children say mommy why are your not so long and I'm you know I hit them very hard and <laughs> and then but also things like you know well menopause when you start we've talked about this before you get back breasts and front breasts you know you get you get little (laughs) you get really extraordinary things kind of popping up all over your body that you're just not prepared for sudden folds around the waist and and but particularly on the back around the back of the bra strap and things so is there a sort of for you would you say to a woman of a certain age is there a sort of don't bother cut-off age or a... How you know horrible, I mean? No, but I mean There's it. no of age. You know I'm in my late 50s and I'm like, if I was to put myself through what I'd have to go through to have the bosoms of my dreams, which you know, Mariam, I would in a heartbeat. But is it really, like... The thickening of the body is such a strange thing, anyway. Of so it the, is. what but, happens to the breasts but, is very but, particular. They but, start growing out my armpits. I mean, it's not no, great. No, no
3: I, the, the, there's never a you know never say never. Um, absolutely not. And and actually, if you're fit and well, age is absolutely irrelevant. Really?
2: So you could be in yeah. your seventies and decide to get older.
3: Listen, I, let, let me tell you. I was going to tell you a story of a seventy-nine. You go right woman, ahead. Uh, who who came to see us, you know, a couple of years ago. 79 years old, she, she walked in, I said, and, and you know, how can I help you, Mrs. Jones? Um, and she said, I'd like a breast augmentation. My boyfriend um, insists. You know, <laughs> and, and it's very difficult because I found myself looking, for, you know, are you sure you don't have blood mm-hmm. pressure? Mm-hmm. You're sure your heart's okay? Mm-hmm. You know, you're sure your kidneys are okay? So I, I was looking for excuses not to do it, mm-hmm. but she was as fit as a fiddle um you know she looked great she just wanted to look good in her dresses you know can you really say to somebody sorry you're too old no uh, i mean you can't can you, you say
2: know. somebody sorry you're too young
3: yeah well that 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 you can do yes
2: because um, there's a lot of that i think we we talk about it
3: endlessly on this show you know
2: the, the that that's
3: that's very different and mm. um, but to go back to your my your menopausal picks, mess the, 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 i mean one of the things that, that where we obviously try and evolve as well and try and improve is you know the the, the, the big enemies if you like are gravity and skin elasticity they're, they're 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 two fights which are difficult to to conquer but one of the things that we we use now particularly in our breast lifts and our breast reductions where gravity is an issue is i routinely use uh what's known as a mesh which is it's almost like an internal bra Um, and it's like a piece of netting which, which is there to try and help prop things up so you know, I'm we my b- I'm literally
2: holding, yeah. cupping well, and holding it,
3: up. It, the See? mesh pretty much sits it's where, much where your hand does. Where my hand oh, does. Oh, so it's in, yeah. it's in the lower pole of the How breast? in the lower pole of the breast. How does it stay there? Um, it gets sutured to the to, oh. to, to the tissues um, at the lower pole. What's it made of, this so mesh? It's, it's, it's a biologically derived synthetic mesh, um, which is very attractive because it basically gets degraded by your body over a 2 year period it gets converted to collagen which in itself has got tensile strength so the attractive thing is is it's there for the the, the reforming part of the of, of of the the healing process but it's not a foreign body because eventually it gets converted to your own collagen and that's what makes it you know, very attractive. A lot of people don't like the idea of having, you know, a foreign body in mm. them and, and so this is only a temporary foreign body. Um, but we now use that routinely is that what, nice.
2: like a sort of, I, I wanted to ask about threads as well or are people are <laughs> so kind of mixed. Can you use threads for, to lift your breast? Not the breast, no. Not really. Not I kind I of mean. thought I'd have my yeah. nipples threaded and then attach it to my earrings. I could wind them up. <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, I have this vision of being able to sort of thread, <laughs> so thread, like the thread,
3: pull. I like the idea. I, like the idea I thought I'd be a yeah. bit of an you inventor. Can, you, I mean, can you can I have the patient. say yeah, it's yours. Yeah, Painful. Very
2: depressing having, yesterday I was on a, I was working and I was on a shoot I was working with, I said your boobs have got so big and it's some yeah, people it's they what they live for but it's for me I was completely depressed you know <laughs> I was just like I don't want to have huge boobs I really don't I had lovely boobs just a handful for half of my life and now I've got these matronly things so for scarring for a reduction for instance
1: that, that's yeah. one of the things that people are worried about the most with a yeah. reduction how, how can you reduce uh, I mean is there anything that can be done to decrease your scarring is there a technique that's involved with it? Is it the type of suture that's used? Or is it just the volume
3: of how much is removed? You have like one, two,
2: three, you have a scar from like the, yeah. the nipple. So I
3: think it's a really good question because well done, the, 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 the first thing people say is, I don't want scarring. Yeah. No, I don't scarring. But, but my analogy is that this is a tailoring exercise where my cloth is, is, is your skin, effectively. Yeah. And the scars are the seams of my tailoring. Oh, I like that. Okay. Now, no scars equals no change. Okay. Now, in general, people will forgive the scarring, forgive any scarring for a beautiful shape. You know, you will forgive the presence of scarring if you have a beautifully shaped breast. Because, you know, an unattractive breast is unattractive whether it's got scars or no scars. So, you know, as soon as you try and, you know, relate these concepts to people, they start to see them. And I, and I show them loads of pictures. I say, look, this is a lady with droopy breasts. She's got no scars. This is her afterwards. She's full of scars.
2: And I know. mean, realistically, they are in a bra for most of us most of the time. So it's not like they're, you know, not walking down the road with them out.
3: Yeah, but, but the, the point is well, is that, that often <laughs> the idea of having your lift or your reduction is that you might have the freedom not to wear a bra as as you know unlikely as that may seem to you um but that is a reality um so i think understanding why you've got scars and and i i talk about scars beneficially scars allow me to shape the breast they allow me to create something attractive there is nothing to be gained by avoiding scars if it doesn't allow me to create shape this is true and anything
2: the person the patient the alexander mcqueen McQueen of the breast world Mm. he's the alexander mcqueen so
3: so so yeah i mean there are lots of things that 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 you can do for scars including you know sort of topical application of silicone based creams or silicone tapes you can simply paper tape there are lots of you know we we introduce laser for our scars at three weeks after surgery so the idea is that rather than trying to make a bad scar good you try and influence the healing environment from the get-go so that, that, you know, there are lots of things that you can do to try and reduce scars. Having said all that, there are those who will always scar beautifully and those who, whatever you do, won't scar well. Um, and, and that's just, you know, the nature of us as, as, as human beings.
2: Urban myth. If you wear your bra to bed, is that a good thing to do? My mother used to say, go to sleep in your bra and then you won't, your boobs won't drop. Yeah. So did my mom. So you see?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's... Uh, okay, just yeah. needed to
2: clear that up yeah, with an expert.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The M&S so trainer bra when I was 11.
1: <laughs> yeah. I used to say, there was this book, Hello God, It's Me Margaret, or something, and it said, I must, I must, I must increase my bust. Oh and my yeah. husband always laughs, and he said, he must have said that a lot. <laughs> 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 um, so... I just wanted to bring up also. You've done a lot. You do a lot of reconstructive work, so I think that's a part that sort of gets lost in the in the whole scope of breast augmentation reduction. So uh, there are a lot of people who, unfortunately, sometimes go to places that are uh, maybe financially less expensive and end up with you know issues, or they go to somebody who's not necessarily trained in that specific procedure. How do you assess somebody who has had something go wrong? Because the breasts are very traumatizing for a woman. You know, you wear a lot of clothes. It's in your profile in terms of your silhouette. If you're wearing anything that might have, you know, a little low cut, you can see it. It's while you can cover some things and you can use padded bras. Um, it can be very, uh, I, I, don't, the, I don't know what the word is. Distressing. Distressing, you know, no. just to see yourself naked at any yeah, time you sure. go take a and, shower. I, I mean,
3: look, you know, there are all sorts of reasons why things go wrong or outcomes are poor and it can be from poor implant selection to begin with you know the wrong shape the wrong size put in the wrong place it can be you know inadequate lifting you know sort of half done procedures Mm. and it's very interesting how younger inexperienced surgeons are often quite overawed by demanding patience. so quite often you know we'll go back to the scarring that the first thing a patient will say is well I, you know I don't want any scars and the young and experienced surgeon will think okay I'll uh, I, you know I've got, I've got to do this without scars so he goes and does the surgery and it looks awful and then she comes to me or whoever else she goes to with a very poor result and but that's the cycle that they've got into is there's been poor decision making along the way so I, you mm, know, interesting. In, in, in order to avoid these issues, it is all about the decision algorithm. And then, when they come to see me, it's about trying to undo that algorithm.
2: Because a lot of people don't know the questions to ask. I think that's the yeah, thing. They course. come to see yeah. you and they know they want something different but they're not sure yeah, what course. it is. And so yeah. would you give any advice to people who are sort of setting out on a journey for either reduction or, or, or enhancement? Ooh. Questions that are kind of or good places to research before they come and see a doctor? Like, Look, I think, you know, you
3: it's the standard advice. You know, Make sure that you're going to a bona fide uh, surgeon, mm-hmm. um, that, that he or she are members of the various organizations so the british association of aesthetic plastic surgeon the barps or the bat and you know go and see more than one person that's the other thing yes. you know, you will very quickly feel, second I, opinion i, is I, very I important. always talk about patients being very good at smelling experience certainty decisiveness um or, or the opposite. You know, they're very good at, at, at smelling out someone who's not very certain about what they're saying or delivering. So I think it's very important to see a couple of people, three people, whatever it is. Don't see too many because then you start getting confused. Yeah. Select those individuals, go and see them, and, and then you'll suddenly understand the person that you feel know understands you best and is making most sense
1: i also wanted to ask you in terms of revisions is it difficult to remove a breast implant it's
3: in not, terms of, it's, it's not difficult to remove a breast implant the question is what you do after that yes. and again that's that's a completely individual um, decision decision because there are those who've got quite a bit of breast tissue and actually after a few years say you know what i've got plenty of breast i don't need the implants and often you'll take the implants out maybe do a lift at the same time just to sort of improve the overall shape um, or sometimes those who really have got virtually nothing um, will often downsize their implants significantly and carry out a lift um, in order to, to improve the shape
1: and then the other question this is maybe a myth-busting how often do you need to change an implant I mean is it I, I always remember hearing every 10 years you need to, to change the implant. Has, has that changed now?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still the sort of figure that's bandied around. The, there is no sell-by date on implants. So in theory, an implant could last forever. In theory. There are a number of reasons, however, that lead people to change their implants. So either there's a problem with the implant itself. It can, it can break. It can rupture. It can go hard. We talked about capsular contracture. Or quite often over time, the look changes. Yes. Mm. People gain weight, they lose weight, the breasts have dropped. You know, that's another reason to seek surgery. Mm. Um, And so on average, about 50% of people will be back for one of those reasons at about 10 or 12 years.
1: Interesting. So it's not so much the implant; it's it's all the other things that it, it, associated potentially, with potentially.
2: it. Potentially, I was going to ask the six million dollar question. Oh yeah, is it six million dollars? <laughs> uh, it should be. <laughs> I think we ought to talk about roughly, and I know you're the surgeon, so you'll say, "I don't know." Somebody sends yeah. the bills, but where are we looking out for breast? Let's say augmentation or even reduction just for our our listeners well
3: i mean the the thing is that there is there is a there is a spectrum there isn't one answer to that to that question so you know there is is a a ball in a park i mean i think you probably you know you probably get it done somewhere between five and ten thousand pounds okay Yeah, something something like that lower end is five thousand the higher end is closer to ten
0: okay
3: thank you for 12, that if you come to me
2: thank you he's got very nice hands by the way he does I was, is, I was he's got the most fantastic hands too hands, I think. I'd be very happy to have my boobs <laughs> in those you hands you do you do you, <laughs> hands, Any, hands
1: anytime crazy.
2: they've just got a very they've got yes well <laughs> no, but you do have very nice hands I
1: was yes,
3: wondering if you've got, got a got manicure nice thank you thank you no I have not you <laughs> had a manicure yeah. for the podcast yeah.
2: <laughs> But I, I do think, yes, but they would be very very reassuring.
3: They'd be welcome.
2: They'd be yeah. welcome anytime, honestly. I mean, sorry, Robert, if you're listening, but <laughs> he has got very nice hands.
1: Well, thank you so much. Is there anything that you think we should. Would you tell? like to ask us? <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Tell our audience. I mean, just really going back to the hands. Um,
1: yeah. <laughs> the hands are, you'd be in good hands with Patrick. Yeah, yeah. I've actually seen a lot of his surgeries and his outcomes. So that's why he is specifically on our podcast. Have you? been in and watched him i have been on a tail end of some cases just um you know coming snooping in. Snooping. Snooping. snooping around yes. snooping yeah. around that's uh, mariam uh, yeah. snooping because we used to you know share a penthouse suite where i work from now before, before I, tell us more before, 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 des- <laughs> before i
3: deserted her that's <laughs> all we yeah. have time for lovely to
2: see you and thank you for making time for us because i know you're the most in-demand so boob man in town so
3: my pleasure
1: thank you so much for listening bye
0: bye The Guinea Pig provides unbiased information to those who may be considering cosmetic surgery or even trialing a non-invasive treatment or product. We do not endorse the use of any product or procedure featured in this podcast and are not responsible for the outcome of any of the treatments featured on this podcast or damage caused in connection with any treatments or products. Should you decide to try any of the procedures, treatments or products mentioned in any episode of The Guinea Pig, you do so at your own risk. Always consult an independent and fully qualified medical professional if you are considering embarking on a medical procedure irrespective of whether it is an invasive or non-invasive procedure.